the shadow sorcerer, sees a deeper, undulating mass of glistening, wet blackness moving towards her. The rest of the party is in full retreat. She pulls together her shadow magic, damaging it, but not enough to stop it. It's still coming for her. The temple reaches out and offers her more power. She has the option to double the amount of damage she's just done, but to do so, she needs to pull the shadow energy of this unholy place. She accepts, but the thing is still not dead. She attacks it again and asks, this time proactively, can I tap into the temple one more time? That would mean a full embrace of the energy of this temple and the nascent god that powers it. She decides to accept without fully understanding the repercussions, and the shadow energy that explodes outward destroys the black pudding that's coming for her, as well as the other black puddings that they don't even know about. But it sets us on a path for a character arc which could become decidedly darker than the player intended. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. Our last session picks up where we left off. The party is still in the oozing temple. Their goal is whatever treasure lies within, but also specifically for the dwarf character Constantine, he's pursuing the mystery of a lost dwarven clan, Clan Arkadin. They found or were given a shard of a sword that had the markings of Clan Arkadin. And so his hope is to find something deeper within, which will point him in the direction of this lost clan, and it may turn out that they're still alive, which, given that dwarves are almost extinct in my campaign, this would be uh, an amazing discovery. This dungeon that they're in is something that I took from the published mega campaign out of the abyss, and I'm repurposing it as a dungeon located in a new mine that was just recently dug and the dungeon was uncovered. The backstory for this dungeon is that it was originally carved out by dwarves a very, very long time ago as a temple for themselves to one of their older dwarven gods who no longer is in the world. It was taken over and used for the the angel Semyana, at a time when Semyana may not have simply been an angel, but could have been a minor god themselves, before they accepted fealty to a greater god called Anu. The temple fell and was again repurposed, this time by worshippers of Jubilex. And so you have what is essentially a holy location, or I think a better way to put it is a location of dark, of not dark, but a location of energy that's being absconded by different groups. First by dwarves looking to use this location to have a temple to their god, then by followers of Semyana, ultimately by Jubilex. And now what we have is a shadow sorcerer in the temple who's influenced by the, the new emerging god, Semyana, and who wants to reclaim this temple and sees an opportunity with an agent of theirs who wields some of their power in the form of shadow magic. This is all part of Voss's backstory. 
to tempt her into accepting more and more of this dark energy, making her a little more powerful in this place. All of that backstory leads us to where we are in the story and in the dungeon crawl at the moment. The party has moved past the initial phases of the dungeon, the easier portions. My goal was to engage the player behind the Shadow Sorcerer a little bit more. I get the sense that combats are not her most exciting thing, and I, I knew we were going to be dealing with quite a bit of combat, and I wanted to find ways to infuse story into combat. I had these, these shadow elements added into the overall story. They move to what is the most difficult portion of the dungeon. It's basically a room where sacrifices were being prepped, and then there are these four really narrow corridors. What would happen is the, the sacrifice would be made to walk down one of the, the corridors, and there's these pits, and they would fall down, and they would be devoured by black puddings. So each of the four corridors has a pit trap and a black pudding. So while the party is debating on how to proceed, there's a little bit of what I perceive to be minor frustration in the players, as, a, as will sometimes be the case, where you have this strange dueling balance of folks who are trying to be uber cautious and folks who want to move things along. Taylor, playing Voss, wants to move things along, and so she with her superior dark vision, barrels on down one of the corridors and stumbles into the first of the pit traps. She lands, the black pudding attacks her, and she is she's immediately dropped below zero hit points. Black puddings are really tough, right? They, they're a nasty, nasty encounter. They're easy to hit, but they have a, a fair amount of hit points, and they hit pretty well, and when they do, they do gobs of damage that also negates and reduce permanently reduces any armor that you're wearing. It's just a nasty, nasty encounter. So she falls down. She doesn't have a ton of hit points. She's just a sorcerer. She gets taken out almost immediately. Before her next turn, however, the party rallies. They are able to both heal her and pull her out of the pit before she has to make any death saving throws. But it's a little strange because she actually winds up getting hit again as she's being pulled out of the pit and gets herself into a situation where she gets healed again. It's just a crazy uh, rally of seconds that go from you're unconscious, you're woken up, you're pulled out of the pit, you're hit again, you go unconscious, you get healed again. I just try to think of what that would look like narratively in a story, in a book, in a movie. It would be nuts. But she's awake, she's mostly healed, even though she's been technically dropped below zero hit points twice in one immediate battle. This puts the party into a strange situation. They're in these very narrow corridors. Joe, playing Bren the half-orc fighter, slashes at it with his newly minted magical axe. He does no damage to it, but he cuts it in half. And now, instead of having one fully powered black pudding, they're facing two black puddings, each with half hit points. The party goes into what I, what I think of as uh, paralyzed panic mode. I find parties can handle half damage and resistance no problem, they'll just muscle through. But when main attacks do absolutely nothing, or worse, make things worse, they don't know what to do. So one of the characters actually used fire. Now, the fire damages it, but it's not like it's susceptible to fire. And now everyone is trying to use some form of fire, usually in the form of torches if they don't have a fire attack, which most of them do not. The dilemma here is that black puddings have a lot of relatively lot of hit points, and they're doing very little damage to it, while when it hits, it's doing 
enough damage to take entire characters down to zero or below or at least close to it. The combat rapidly devolves into a bit of a rout. So they fall back, but Bran is caught on the other side of the pit, and so what he does is he runs further down the corridor and then comes back around one of the other of the four narrow corridors, if you can imagine that. He doesn't make any checks, and his passive perception is nowhere near enough to detect the hidden pit traps, and so he falls into a second pit trap. Now, he manages to make his dexterity saving throw and catch himself, but deep in this pit is yet another fully powered black pudding. And as I know, there's two more pits, two more black puddings. One of them is practically wiping out the party. Now they have a second one. And this leads us up to the moment that I described at the top of the podcast, where the party is in full retreat. Voss finds herself holding the line against this on-rushing, full-powered black pudding. And she executes a spell that allows her to basically send the shadow spike into the thing. Now, this does psychic damage. It does full damage to the creature. It certainly hurts it, but this thing has a ton of hit points comparatively. And it's at this point that I see an opportunity to help drive story a little bit more. I'd already done the scene that I described in the last podcast, where she's fully aware that this was at one time a temple to Semyana, right? She knows that this is the temple to a being who she's trying to get away from, and they want her back. I offer her the hard choice of, if you embrace the power of the temple just a little bit, you will be able to double the damage you just did. She does ask what embracing the temple will mean for her, and I do explain, look, it's predominantly going to be role-playing stuff between you and I, and we'll work it out. Later, there's probably not going to be like a mechanical thing, and I think that gives her confidence enough to say, all right, I'm going to go for it. She does, and she does double damage. And it's a lot of damage, but it's certainly not enough to take the thing out. And so the next time she's acting, she asks, can I tap into the power? Now, to me, this is a little different. The first time, it's me pushing a little power towards her and saying, hey, maybe you'd be a little interested in tapping into this. I didn't know if she'd accept or not. But this is different. This is her saying to me, reaching out to the dealer, if you will. (laughs) Can I have another taste? At this point, there's a couple of things going on. Number one, this combat with the black puddings has gone on for quite some time, and I'm sensitive to combats that last over long, especially when it's not... I don't want to say it was an unsatisfying encounter, because certainly it was. The players are losing. They're being beaten back for the most part. And from a pacing standpoint, I think players will have a lot of heart for continuing in combats where they're really being effective. But in this case, a lot of what they're doing is not being effective, and they're just constantly being forced to pull back. So to continue this would be less than awesome. So I offer the choice now, well, okay, you can tap into it, but this is going to really triple down. It's it's going to be a significant embrace of this power, and it will have repercussions. She just, without really interrogating me much more, just says, yeah, okay, I'm going to go for it. Under those circumstances, I take dramatic license and describe the following scene. You launch a black spike of shadow energy into the creature. From all around you, power from the temple, dark, fetid power, like from the beginning of your relationship with Samyana, swarms into you and through you and into this black energy. 
It streaks down the corridor, snuffing out all light, any small semblance of an ability to see. It crashes into the creature, and darkness explodes outward. For the rest of the party, I describe how it's like a wall of blackness just rushes towards you, envelops you, and you're lost within it. Only one of the characters is far enough away, and exploring another unknown passageway falls outside of the blackness, but he too sees the blackness rushing towards him and comes to a sudden stop. And then afterwards, there's pure silence. I use this opportunity to call a break in the game, and I, I think it was... Uh, it was certainly fun for me to do that. I love doing things like that. It's like a little mini cliffhanger within the session. It also gave me time to collect my thoughts around this because this is full-on improv, right? This is not something I expected to do or have happen, and I have to think of what's going to happen next. When I come back, I decide, since the shadow spike does psychic damage, I decided to have a couple of manifestations. The last thing the half-orc Bren saw before the darkness descended was that their friend, the gelatinous cube, who's been following them since the beginning, he has decided to help them against the last half black pudding that they're caught fighting. They've been doing a lot of damage to this thing by this time, and it doesn't have a lot left. So I, I want to show them that the gelatinous cube is still their friend. And so he finishes off the last of the black puddings. I don't even know if a gelatinous cube could beat a black pudding, but I wanted to illustrate it. And I thought it was a cool visual that it absorbed the black pudding into itself and the inky blackness of it floating within his gelatinous form. The last thing Bren sees is this kind of smiley face formed by the consumed black pudding within the gelatinous cube. The darkness descends. When we come back from the break, I have Glabagool telepathically connect with Bren. That's how Globagool communicates. He has telepathy. He's like a sentient little mini gelatinous cube. Cute as hell. They have a little bit of a conversation. Now, the nature of the conversation is not really important, but it, it's just I'm trying to enhance the creepy factor a little bit. And uh, Globagool is asking him, did you feel that? Because Globagool doesn't really see, so he doesn't know about darkness or light or any of that. But he certainly felt that power, and he's asking if Bren has felt the power moving through the temple. And so Bren reassures their gelatinous cube pet that, yes, I felt it. I can't really see anything. I don't know what's happened. And then I shift over to the dwarf Constantine and describe how within this sort of tangible blackness, he sees the ghost of one of these dwarven clansmen that he's seeking, perhaps Chief Arkadin himself, who says one word in Old Dwarvish that can mean one of two things. It can either mean book or word, like written or written word. And it says that to him. And what I'm trying to do is set up later on, I know they're going to come across the body of one of these dwarves. And if he searches that body, he's going to find clues that will point him in the direction of more about Clan Arcanon. And then I pretty much have the darkness retreat, right? The energy sort of pulls back and they just find themselves now with, with all the oozes and whatnot destroyed. Because this was Samyana using Voss to clear the temple for his own nefarious purposes. From here, the party presses forward a little bit more. 
They find another room with a fountain and a whole bunch of dead gray oozes. That was going to be sort of the next encounter, but it was just a bunch of gray oozes. And I, at this point, I felt like, look, I don't, I don't know what that adds. They've already dealt with the black puddings and gray oozes are ridiculously easy by comparison. It would have just been another strange, I don't want to say waste of time, but something that was just, you know, taking up time without really adding any value. They found within the fountain a bunch of treasure. There's actually a couple of, you know, minor magical items in there, um, a bunch of gold and silver, which of course they scoop up. But now they've moved, they move on to the, the real next phase of it, which is there's this cavern and it's being flooded. But I've added to this dungeon this is a, a per as written this flooded cavern is the end of it and the whole point is that the water would simply keep pouring in from above until this entire temple was filled and the way out is to open up the fissure in the ceiling that the water's pouring through and swim upward i'm not sure that players would do that or come up with that or think that's the way to get out that's very counterintuitive at least to my mind so i've provided another room that is uh, slightly elevated and will get flooded less or i should say will get flooded slower on the other side of this cavern. And in this room, it's going to be the final area of the temple, and they're going to find shadows and uh, fairly powerful animated undead of these ancient, ancient, ancient dwarves who are being used by Semyana for nefarious purposes. Now, we ended the session here, and there are certain considerations I have to now take in doing this that are driven by the choice Voss made. If she's accepted the power of the temple and this final encounter is the the dark, evil, undead, necrotic style energy, why would it attack her or them? And I, I think the, the answer I'm going to end up landing on is it won't attack her, but maybe it would attack her friends. Wouldn't Semyana want to remove other support structures from her so that his influence can fully take root? I think that makes sense. But this is where we ended the session. They haven't even gotten into that room yet. They don't know what's awaiting them. What worked? What didn't work? What are the lessons learned? I think clearly what worked was the hard choice of the Shadow Temple for the Sorcerer. I think that was clearly the most interesting part of the evening, and it was certainly the most dramatic moment. I've talked about that ad nauseum, so I'm not going to touch on that too much more, other than to say it really sets me up for some great storytelling drama that I have to work out between sessions with uh, Taylor to see, well, what do we really want this to mean for Voss, right? Um, I'll probably talk about that in our next episode as I'm, I'm talking about how I'm preparing for our next session. But I think seizing an opportunity like that, and that's what I, I think is probably the biggest takeaway from, from the last session, is being flexible enough as a DM to go off of the quote-unquote rules and say, I guess this is the rule of cool, but it, I, to me it goes a little bit beyond that because it's not just like, hey, I want to swing on a chandelier, that's cool, I guess I'll allow you to do it and give you advantage on the attack. This is something much broader <laughs> That's about handing a whole bunch of power to a player. I felt okay about it because this is limited to the location they're in, right? Once they leave this temple, this dungeon, they're not going, she's not going to be able to just tap into extra superpower. That becomes kind of a difficult thing. So the, the question becomes what will be the repercussions from that? 
and specifically how will that change who her character is and maybe focus her choices moving forward. I have a lot of strategizing that I need to do around that to make best use of it. But in the moment saying, okay, I could, I could sense that she really wanted to have her power do something special and just think, you know what, let me have the temple reach out to her. I already had it reach out and speak to her once and say, come back to us. Well, okay, put, put up or shut up, right? So the temple gives her this power and I was ecstatic when she decided to accept. I really didn't think she would. So now she's in my clutches and obviously from, from a DM's perspective, having a player in your clutches is absolute. Like it's, it's the drug that just addicts you to this. Just amazing. And I think if I were to say what worked, it's that. Now, in the middle between what worked and what didn't work is for me the entirety of the Black Pudding encounter. I find personally that these kind of encounters and these type of creatures, right? Rust monsters, black puddings, trying to think of other examples, but things that are designed to be subversive towards what the players are capable of doing. Things that are immune to certain primary attacks, because a black pudding is immune to slashing damage. It doesn't say magical or non-magical slashing damage. It's immune to all slashing damage. So you have a character with uh, a battle axe who's just got it and it's magical and it does nothing other than make the situation worse. Additionally, when it attacks you, it's ruining your armor permanently. These are things that are fun for a DM, I think, in that they're evil, <laughs> they have repercussions, and it makes the players really think. But I, I know, having sat on the other side of it, there's only a limited amount of real fun as a player you can have with that. There's maybe some schadenfreude. If it happens to another player, then it's kind of cool. But when it happens to you, especially if you're like a character who is reliant on armor and close melee attacks and all that, it can become a little frustrating pretty quickly. Additionally, the encounter was in really close quarters, and so the party struggled to situate themselves to meet it head on. The environment was definitely in the favor of the Black Puddings. So I codify this as a limited success because I define success always as how are people having fun at the table. I think there was a, a minor frustration factor for some of the players in dealing with this, and it certainly didn't make them feel like big damn heroes. Now, this is not me knocking it. I went into it with eyes wide open in terms of what this encounter was going to be. I think it's part and parcel to Dungeons and Dragons. The next encounter is a little more classical in that it'll be in a fairly large chamber where they'll have maneuverability. They'll be up against foes who are tough, but who are a little more straightforward, allowing them hopefully to break out all their new third and fourth level skills and spells and whatnot and have a rousing good time. What didn't work was we didn't get through the dungeon. It takes a long time, some of these combats, and a combat against creatures that have a lot of hit points and the ability to resist or be immune to major attacks. It just it just dragged on. I mean, we, we spent probably half of a four-hour session dealing with the Black Puddings. Now, that's not just one combat, but the approach to the Black Pudding, running around, all this kind of stuff, and then the immediate after effects. I didn't get a... Con I thought we were definitely going to get through the dungeon in, in this next session. But now what I was thinking would be one and a half, maybe two sessions to get through a dungeon has turned into at least three sessions, the two we've had plus the one that's coming up. That to me is a pacing problem. We certainly should have been able to get through this. 
and I'm not sure how to solve that problem. I know when I was running 4th edition, the hit points of the monsters got out of control, and as a matter of course, I was reducing them by 25% to just keep the combats to something close to a reasonable time frame. The reason I stopped running 4th edition was because the combats were taking far too long and I just wasn't enjoying them anymore. I'm not saying I'm there with 5e at this point. I certainly am not, but I'm starting to see shades of that problem rising up. And I'm going to have to think about how do I really solve for this so that combats move a heck of a lot faster. I don't want to jump to conclusions because, as I said, this one is specifically with the black pudding, its resistance, its immunities, and its its hit points, and, and the, the fear that it induces in players once they realize what proximity to the thing can do to them. So lessons learned are, number one, I want to really focus on infusing role-playing into combat, right? To, to have personalities for the combatants wherever possible to have role-playing choices found within the combat, to go from just spouting out numbers to really describing what's happening in a way that forces the characters to make choices as opposed to just declarations of what atta- of who they're attacking and what their role was. Number two, and this is something that I don't feel it's necessarily a lesson I have to learn. In fact, I have to be careful about overdoing this. It's jumping on dramatic opportunities within a story to make things more exciting, engaging, and interesting. In this case, I'm referring, obviously, to presenting the dark temple power to the sorcerer, but being open to that and knowing that if used correctly, that type of a tool could really take your game and turn it from a standard campaign into something that is incredibly exciting and hopefully something that the players will remember from their gaming career with great fondness. So that's it. I think overall it was a very good session. Certainly enjoyed myself. At the beginning of the night, several of us were feeling under the weather, and I thought we were only going to have a half session. But as we proceeded throughout the, the evening, I think the scenario really helped to energize folks, and we actually played for almost the full standard four hours. I'll take that as a win in terms of being able to engage your audience. And so... I'll classify this one as a, as a success. This is the second session where uh, Grayson is playing his new character. I think he's integrating really well. It's interesting to watch them roleplay through a character where the player has information and knowledge about the other PCs, but they have to act as if they don't know that. It's fun to watch the players really work towards integrating this new PC into their group. It's something I've seen on social media where others have struggled with this, and it always sort of flabbergasts me because they act like it's a DM problem, and it certainly is not. It's a group problem, right? The players need to integrate the new character for sure, Um, and these guys are doing a great job at that, so pretty pleased. Next up is the final chamber of the temple, including a horde of undead, the answers or some answers to the mystery around this lost dwarven clan, as well as the deepening repercussions for the shadow sorcerer and her embrace of Semyana's evil power. 
This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to help out at all, the absolute best thing that you can do is give us a review on iTunes. At this point, just looking to elevate the profile of the audio journal and get some other folks listening in. As always, you can reach out on Twitter at Anatomy Camp, or you can go to the Podbean website. You should see the link in the description and leave us a comment. Or you can reach me directly by email at phil at campaignanatomy.com. As ever, thanks for listening.